The book of Revelation is a, isn't it an amazing book? I mean, if you're looking for something exciting to experience, uh, maybe you're looking for a movie to watch. Uh, maybe you want to go to the movie theaters. I don't know if the movie theaters around here are open or if they, they are to what extent maybe they would be. I know that some movie theaters have opened around the country and, and they've limited some seating there. And We look for exciting uh, movies to go and watch. And uh, maybe, maybe we are... Uh, getting on Amazon, and we're looking for a movie to watch on Amazon, Amazon Prime, if you have that, or uh, maybe you're jumping on Netflix. Wait, no, we're not jumping on Netflix now. Uh, you know, but you're looking for something to watch, right? Something that you're excited about, and, and uh, maybe it's something that is full of, of, of action, suspense. You really could go right to your Bible, and you could spend some time studying it from cover to cover, and you would uh, appreciate all kinds of action and, and all kinds of suspense, if you will. And, and the book of Revelation is one of those tremendous books. I want you to look with me. Just keep your finger there in Revelation chapter 10 because that's where we're going to be. But I want you to back up to Revelation chapter 1. And notice with me, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1, it says the Revelation... Of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice there that there's not an S added to that, right? It's not the revelations, but it's the revelation. So we've got the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified, all right, wrote it with signs, it by his angel unto his servant John. So it's a book written in signs and symbols, and it was written directly to John. And John, or John rather, is the one writing the book, uh, as he's guided by inspiration. In verse 2 it says, I bear record the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all of these things. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And what I want us to observe from the first few verses here is that John is writing by inspiration the things that he sees. John, what you see, write it down in a book. He says, okay, and he does. And he says that these things are written in signs and symbols, but not only that, the things that are written down are things that can both be heard and understood. You know, there are some books in our Bible that we tend to avoid. Now, why is that? Well, that's it's complicated. I don't quite get it. I don't, I don't understand that. I'm with you. There are things in our Bible that are challenging, that are difficult. Have, uh, have you read Leviticus lately? What about the New Testament book of Hebrews? Did you know that Hebrews, though it's, it is so insightful for us and is full of hope and blessings, but there are challenges to that book? Well, what about the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is certainly one of those books that offers some challenges to the reader. But if we could appreciate that, that it is full of signs and symbols and put those into their, their context, that helps us to understand. But what I want us to appreciate is as we study this, there is so much meat that we can pull out of Revelation that is applicable for our lives today. Uh, if you were to look in Revelation chapters um, 2 and 3, here we have... Uh, 
John writing to the seven churches of Asia, and in these two chapters, he tells us this is what the church of Christ should look like, and this is what the church of Christ should not look like, right? So there are some elements among the churches of Christ that, that John writes to that, hey, these are things that we need to work on. These are things that are just, I mean, they're just flat wrong. These are some things that you're getting right, and let's emphasize those. I've got a sermon that I preach from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 on what should the church of Christ look like today. Here's another way of looking at it. If, if Jesus were to come back and he were to, now just try to imagine this. If Jesus were to come back today and he were to place membership within the church of Christ in the local community, isn't that weird just, just to hear that? That sounds weird to just saying that. But if Jesus Christ were to place his membership among us, would he place his membership at Westside? Would he place his membership at that side or some other uh, church of Christ in the community? Interesting thought, isn't it? Well, as you continue to go through this powerful and impactful uh, book, uh, we come to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is a, it's an interlude, okay? So you had previously seen in, 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 in Revelation a picture of the seven churches. You, you, you've seen a, a picture of the seven seals. And most recently, in the previous couple of chapters, we see uh, some insight into the six of seven trumpets. And now we come to chapter 10, and it's an interlude between trumpet number 6 and trumpet number 7 that will uh, blare forth in chapter 11 and verse number 15. And somebody says, interlude, isn't that where you take a break in the action? Have you ever been to a play, maybe a school play, or maybe it's a professional play, and you go in there and and it's going on for what seems like, in my view, forever, because I'm not much of a play-type person. But, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching the play, and all of a sudden you have an interlude. I love that, because I get to get up and I get to take a break, right? Well, here we have an interlude in the action, or do we? Not really. It's an interlude in the content, but it's not an interlude in the action, it's not an interlude in the value of the message of John that he's talking about by inspiration. So in chapter 10, beginning with the first verse, notice what happens in this interlude. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Now John has previously written about, as he's writing about what he sees, he's writing about what he sees in heaven. All right, just leave your finger there. This is so awesome. You, you, you got to catch this. Back up in Revelation, look at chapter 5. In chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, John is, 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 is seeing what's in heaven, and it's if, jo if John in this vision is in heaven, and as he's in heaven, he sees the, the four twenty elders, and now in chapter 5, as he's in the presence of God himself, it says in verse 12 that they're saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And that's what John is seeing. John, what you see, write it in a book. What do you see, John? I see all praising and honoring God in heaven before his throne. And they're saying, Amen. Let it be. Powerful. Now you come to chapter 10. And John is not pictured as being in heaven, but now he's pictured as being on earth because he sees another mighty, another translation might say strong angel, comes down from heaven. So now John's pictured as being back on earth, and here is a mighty, a stronger angel that comes down. Some have said that this angel is none other than Jesus himself. I don't believe that's the case. We don't see Jesus being pictured as an angel prior, so I don't believe this is talking about Jesus. Apparently, what we have in this text is the reality that there are some angels that identify as being stronger than other angels, such is the case. So he sees this mighty angel, this awesome angel, come down from heaven. Now notice how the angel is clothed. Clothed with the cloud and a rainbow. And was upon his head and his face, was it were the, as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Now what I want you to see about the angel, and if you like to mark in your Bible, you might do as I have. And I've just underscored some Expressions here, clothed with the cloud, cloud, rainbow, the sun, and pillars of fire. The angels being pictured as uh, one of both judgment and mercy. One of these days, the Bible says that that we are going to we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and prior there to. If we die, the Bible says that we will be carried away by what, Luke 15? Angels. Angels are identified here as characters of both judgment and mercy. What is the mercy word? Rainbow. What are the judgment words? Cloud, sun, pillars of fire. Now notice what this mighty, this strong angel had in his hands. And he had in his hand a little book, open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And uh, it leaves us questioning, what is the little book? Some have suggested that it's a portion of the Old Testament. Some have suggested that it's, 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 it's uh, some other portion of the Bible. Others have suggested that it is the gospel of Jesus. I believe it happens to be the gospel of Christ because if you take verse 2 and you tie it into verse number 7, notice what you have. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, and when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared. Yongalitzo. To shout what? The good message, the good news. 
the euangelizo to his servants and the prophets. This is a word that's been used, tied in with the gospel of Jesus. So here is an angel, a great angel, a mighty angel that has in his hand a little book, some portion of the message of God, and it is, notice, it is opened. Now don't miss that. What's happening here? You have this mighty angel standing with a message from God, perhaps the gospel of Jesus himself, and it is opened does that not suggest for you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is open for all people to see? There's no excuse for us not knowing the gospel of Christ. The Bible says that, that uh, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we might live soberly and righteously in this present world, Titus chapter 2. The what? The grace has appeared to all. The gospel of God's grace has been open to all. And so here this message is open to all being held by this mighty angel. And it says that he sits his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. In other words, he is taking a firm posture and he's showing that he has authority both over the earth and over the sea. And he cries with a loud voice. And when a lion roareth, and when he had cried seven thunders, uttered their voices. Let's see. Seven churches. Seven seals. There's going to be seven trumpets, six previously mentioned. And now seven thunders uttered their voices. All right. I want to know what this is about. I, I, I'm, I'm pausing everything. I, I'm, I'm ready to listen. I want to hear what it is that the seven thunders are going to say. I, 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 want, to, I want to catch this. Verse 4. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. Remember, John, what you see, write it in the book, Revelation chapter 1. I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Man, what did they say? I don't know, and neither do you. We're not going to know, and that's okay. There are occasions in which God has, has left out portions of, 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 the, of his message, if you will, and, and I'm okay with it. I don't have to know everything. There are a number of things that are not written in this book, and that's okay, including what the seven th- uh, thunders uttered. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and are the earth and the things that are therein and are the sea the things that are therein that there should be time no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished and he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The first seven verses here of Revelation chapter 10 are what I would call an examination of the little book. 
And it's just a very natural division of this chapter. It's almost as if it was, in fact, written by a preacher. Two very clear, articulate points. Point number one, an examination. Point number two, an application. So when you look at verse number eight through the end, it's the application of the little book. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, all right, what was the voice? It was the mighty angel. It was the stronger of the angels. It was the angel that both offered judgment and mercy. It was the angel whose feet were firmly planted, identifying his authority. It's the angel that had opened the, the book of the message of God, perhaps the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the voice said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, if I were to just mention to you what's kind of going on in the world at this time, what is society like? Is it, is it peaceful? Is, is it, uh, are, are Christians, are they um, kind of just enjoying a nice, peaceful existence? And the answer, as you well know, is No. It was difficult to be a Christian. It was challenging to be a Christian. And Christians were, they were killed. They were imprisoned. They were exiled, such as was John, to the Isle of Patmos. And so it was a very difficult, it was a very challenging time in which to live. So how should we as Christians behave when times are challenging? And times are challenging. How should we behave? Should we be silent when facing peril? Should we be quiet when threatened? How should we behave? Again, going back to verse number 8, John is being challenged, take the book. Don't just walk past it. Don't just take a peek at it. Take the book. And do what with it? Look at verse 9. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. You know, there are some things that, that on the surface just don't make sense. Such as, have you ever heard someone say, Oh, that... That little baby is so cute. I could just eat her up. You know anybody that says that? I do. <laughs> and and, and I, I can't help but think when a mama hears somebody say that about their baby, do they get a little bit scared? I am not going to let my baby around that person. <laughs> of course not. It doesn't really scare them because they know that, that we're not cannibals, that we're not actually going to eat someone up, eat a little baby up. But on the surface, it just doesn't make sense to hear something like that. And on the surface, to think about taking a book and just eating it up, that doesn't make any sense, does it? 
And yet that is exactly what John was told to do. John, take the little book and eat it up. And for the Hebrews, the idea of, from that language, the idea of eating it up would be to take those words and, and taste them. Taste the Word of God. Allow it to roll around in your mouth a little bit before it goes down into your throat, down into your stomach, which was the heart of the emotions according to that culture. Now the seat of emotions we understand better being in the brain, but in that culture it was the stomach. Eat it up, digest it. We understand a little better as to why John would be told to to take it in, to eat it up, to devour it. But notice what would happen. It would make it would taste like honey, but it would make your belly bitter. So John's being challenged. Take this book, eat it up, digest it, don't nibble on it. We have too many people that like to nibble at the book, and not enough people that want to devour the book. And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have been a bit of a, of a nibbler. But that doesn't give us all that we need. If we just play around with this book, it doesn't really, doesn't really provide us any help and hope but if we can devour it, oh, it, it tastes wonderful. You think about Psalm 119, it says that thy word is sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. Isn't this book sweet? If you've ever had the opportunity to take this message, to take this book and to share it with someone else, and you watch them as they, as they take it in and you think, oh man, Boy, that is sweet. Isn't that wonderful to to watch them consume that word and understand what it means to their life and what it can mean for their life as they make the decision to become a Christian? Oh, it's a sweet, sweet message. But on the other hand, there are times in which we take this book and with its sweetness to the taste and we realize, oh, we've got to We've got to take that message and we've got to share it to someone who is, boy, they're, they're wrapped up in all kinds of sin. That hurts. That almost makes, just thinking about that, maybe you know someone that you're, maybe a Christian that you're needing to challenge because of their unfaithfulness and, and, and the thought of taking what is, yes, sweet to the taste, the thought of taking that to, to someone and challenging them to, to, to get right, to be faithful once again, makes you sick to your stomach. And it would, I think, if, if our heart is right, it would make us sick to know that that's, that's something that we have to do. That's where John was. Uh, maybe... Maybe John had, had this in mind. If you look at chapter 9 and verse, verse uh, 21, it says, Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Maybe John had in mind as he is being challenged here to take this book and consume it. And he, he's being reminded of how sweet it is, and yet how it would sour the stomach. Maybe it was, he had in mind the fact that there are folks here that needed to repent. Look at chapter 18 in verse number 3. 
He would write, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And maybe John is thinking, I've got this message and it is sweet to my lips, but man, I've got to share it. I've got to pass this message along to others, to a world that is full of corruption and chaos and and just really just doesn't like God at all. It makes me sick to my stomach to know I've got to do that. A message that tasted like honey, but made John sick to his stomach. And so verse 10 says, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before my peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So what we've done is just two things very briefly this morning is we've just made an examination of that little book. That little book was was opened by that wonderful, strong, mighty angel whose feet were planted secure, identifying his authority. And this book that was open is there for all passers-by to see the wonderful message of God. What exactly that message was, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that it was the message of God, a message from God. And contextually, it appears as though it may very well be a, a portion or maybe even the fullness of the gospel of Jesus. When you think about the expression, the mystery of God there in verse number 7, mystery does not mean mysterious. It just means something that had not prior been revealed but now has been revealed. And so maybe we're talking about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God's message is being open here for all passers-by to see. And now, we, like John, are being challenged to do something. Take that message and eat it up. Enjoy its taste. It is sweetness to your lips. But also be reminded in application of its challenge. It's not enough for us just to keep this message to ourselves. Because if all we did was keep this message to ourselves, yeah, it would be sweet. But if we really digested it, we'd realize, oh no, now I'm consumed in bitterness because sourness of stomach because of my own unwillingness to share it. Enjoy the sweetness, but understand the sourness that's going to come as you share it with others and you try to bring other people to Jesus. And do that with the appreciation that when this life is over, And we are all going to sit around the throne of God and we're going to rejoice in the brilliance of His wonder. And we're going to appreciate that throughout the endless ages. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one through penitent faith and baptism to have every sin of the past washed away. If you do that, if you you do what God has, has prescribed for you to do in His Word, you'll be a Christian. You'll be on your way home. If you are a Christian, but you've You've stepped away. You've wandered away. Would you repent? Would you change your mind about sin? And would you come home? Would you do it even now? We'll pray with and for you. Whatever we can do to be an encouragement to you, let us know. Together we stand and as we sing.